it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Why, a hello and a howdy. We're so very glad to see you, because we're getting kind of rowdy, and we've got a lot to say. And we're going to try and do our very best to entertain you, and we hope you'll be delighted by the time you go away. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Thank you, broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. We have Renee Young leaving the company. We have New Thunderdome. And a bunch of other things to talk about this week. We also have, of course, wrestling historians. So, another two-parter. Let's get it started. Uh, I am the Bubba Comedian, Dan Calachico. Follow me at DanLaw83. Uh, I want to say hi to the hopefully almost soon-to-be-blind Harry Barnett. And Danny in the chat and many others are uh, watching right now. Thank you for coming. And with me, as always, is... Uh, Craig Legans. Craig, if you follow that, you guessed it, Craig Legans. So, last week we talked about divisiveness as far as wrestling fans and some more uh, divisiveness between wrestling fans. Today it was announced that Renee Young is going to be leaving the WWE soon. And much like when her husband left, uh, who is uh, John Moxley, Dan Ambrose, uh, it sparked off a feud between fans of all wrestling everywhere on Twitter about the WWE uh, not utilizing her correctly, uh, which you can comment on soon. Uh, mm-hmm. The WWE being a terrible place to work, AEW is better, Renee Young's not that good. Just my first point was: is why can't anybody just want to move on anymore? She's been there a lot of years. Yeah, shrug, exactly. Uh, uh, also, my face is beautiful, and I have several people from all walks of life, Harry, to tell you you're wrong, so shut your uh, accent up. Um, she's been there for a lot of years. She's been yeah. the face of the WWE as far as um, not – other than – well, she was on the table for a long time, too. Mm-hmm. She did fine. She's got several shows. WWE didn't underutilize her at all. Um, of course, I'd see. I'd like to see her. Anybody take over for Michael Cole play by play, but I'm not allowed to say anything about <laughs> Michael Cole's play by play. Um, I maybe she just wants to change a pace and do something else with her life for a little while. I I don't understand what happened with wrestling and you having to be loyal. Loyalty is not getting anybody anything in wrestling, and hasn't for over fifty years. You know that. I do know that. Uh, so if she wants to go, let her go. I don't understand why we had to fight about every single thing. I didn't. I just sat back and let it go. I was like, I don't care. Um, Phillies game was on. Sixers game was coming on. Flyers game's on now. I, you guys can argue over it another time. Like Harry said, Dean Ambrose, but he, t- terrible English from an English guy. Um, <laughs> you, you invented the language. God, let me try that again. I'll even use her name properly, Harry. 
Renee Young is the only charismatic interviewer they have. I like Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie well, Cruz and, is and the too. and the interviewer part of the end of the WWE isn't really all that. You know, it, while it's 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 important, it's not like vital to anyone because they've gotten several people in the backstage area they haven't even bothered to name they just stick them out there with a you know with a microphone and talk to people in in the backstage area so not not to belittle what renee young did but i know her for more for for her hosting of yeah. the the wwe promoted shows not so much for backstage she's great she at it to do but she is she's damn good at it yeah so yeah i so i don't especially when i do wrestling historian and i i use so many examples of wrestlers going on different companies or wrestling in different territories often in the same week or some on the same day. It, it's like we've gotten so conditioned where one person is only associated with this brand and they can't go anywhere else but here. And maybe she just wants to see more of her husband. That was another thing. Maybe she wants to go home. I mean, she did battle COVID for a little while. Yeah. Uh, and she seems to have gotten past that with very little uh, after after issues. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. maybe she just wants to go home. Do you ever think of that? And stay yeah. home? I just I don't understand why everything had to be a fight. Uh, Danny wants to know why you're wearing your mask indoors. What mask? <laughs> Good answer. Uh, I apologize, Danny. I'm trying to give my team luck. Uh, apparently, it's not working. Uh, no, so. you don't. No, no, don't don't listen to her. She's a. I would never fan listen to her. Yeah, whatever the hell she. Yeah, well, she's a Baron Corbin fan, so not a lot of what Danny says really goes one in one era and not the other. So, I have no comment. There's that. You're I gonna have to deal with that one on your own. I have plenty of comments, but um, not hi no. Kelly, um. I'm not saying a word. I'll say several words. Uh, no, but uh, but Danny, thank you for listening. And um, you're right. Hopefully this will give. She has to. The, She's uh, the admin. It's her job. Flyers more uh, luck. So there, I'm indoors, no mask. Um, still repping my favorite local hockey team. But I don't know why there was any derision about Renee Young leaving. It was amazing. It came out and there was just a bunch of chatter. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Who cares? Yeah. Anyway, um, I mean, if she was leaving to uh, sell aluminum siding, that's one thing. But she's leaving to, I I guess, primarily go to another wrestling company or go to the other wrestling company. So I mean, with as much as hurricanes that hit Florida, she needs to sell aluminum siding. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's why I don't understand that. I'm I'm guessing. Well, my only thing was, if there are that people are that upset with Renee Young leaving, it must be because they really enjoyed Renee Young and don't want to see her go. I have to go with that because if you wanted to leave your job for some, for something else and you got nothing but inter- the social media going crazy like or vilifying you or vilifying the move, then it must mean you've done something right that so many people are talking about you leaving. Because if Renee Young wasn't Renee Young and there wouldn't be this much uproar. It's like, oh, okay, she's gone. No, I didn't know she was even here. <laughs> well, yeah. more changes in the WWE because apparently WWE, I believe in everything except for NXT. I could be wrong. I think it's just the two main shows, mm-hmm. which uh, I would count that as NXT, but what the hell do I know? Um, is moving to the Amway Center in Florida. Okay. So they're going to change to... Uh, an arena, so a bigger production facility, again, which is kind of pointless, and whatever. It costs money. I, you do your thing, Vince, whatever. You do you. Yeah, you do you, Bo. You always have, and usually in the last 10 years, it's stupid, but whatever. Uh, but they're going to call it the WWE Thunderdome, and I think they're taking their cue off of Mad Max. <laughs> well, yes, off of Mad Max. Who runs Bartertown? Master Blaster, but Master Blaster. Yeah, that would be Kevin Nash. No, I'm kidding. Um, Well, no, I think the first thing that I think the first thing that was called Thunderdome was in WCW. But now, the more I think about it, World Class might have done something called Thunderdome. Yeah. 
So the, the last cl- at the last parade of champions at Texas Stadium, there was a Thunderdome. See, I always see. I and know. there was and uh, Kevin Sullivan booked one in Florida. Of course he did. That had the awful of bad then bad news at, uh, from the top of the cage. <laughs> ah, heck, which, wonderful. Uh, Jones have been. Uh, I hope there's not another one. Uh, yeah, no, no. We never need to do that ever again. Uh, Harry Barnett said you should have just bought Impact and called it the Impact Zone. Well, why? There's no value there. Yes. The only value is uh, the women. Exactly. And WWE doesn't seem to... AEW would do better <laughs> with that women's division. Yeah. Uh, WWE never change. Actually, you but, know what? But, Everybody change, please, for Christ's yeah. sake. But what exactly is Thunderdome going to do? So is that's it, what I, the what I am to gather the what they're doing, and I will be interested to see how they do it. They're taking their cue from what the NBA and the NHL has done. More so, the NBA, the NHL, and the NBA has done um, has taken the you know the arena and inside of the seats and put up LED screens and covered the seats but the nba took it a step further and actually where the seats were except for you know staff and locker you know the bench and the front office staff they've put up big huge leds where the crowd would sit and have people sitting in virtually from zoom or discord or whatever and it looks like that is what the wwe is going to do looks like they're going to put seats in Mm-hmm. Our uh, screens in where the seats are and do that type of thing where, cause I, the only reason why I say that is I got an email from the WWE. Uh, I guess it, it's usually the shop DVD. Yeah. Um, email, not DVD mm-hmm. uh, offering, you know, sign up to register to be a fan at the Thunderdome. So I think they're just going to do that where you're sitting in zoom or Skype or, or discord and cheering on like that. And I, whether or not they pipe in the crowd noise, I, I don't care either way. Um, WWE, everybody thought it was bad. I, I liked what the WWE did with the piped in sound. Yeah. I like what they're doing with the, with the crowd they do, that they do have. They finally listened and said, Hey, you know, we've got more than a hundred people just standing around here. Why can't they be our crowd? Yeah, that's great. I I like what they did with that. Um, Yeah. Same thing with the uh, MLB doesn't really do it. It's kind of weird with the MLB, mm-hmm. but basketball's got it. Uh, yeah. best, as far as I'm concerned, even where the NHL NBA figured it out and has the best looking setup. So I think yeah. they're going to do more than that. Cause you know, you just need the ringside area. You don't need all that other area around it other than the entrance as well. No. So that's starting up on SmackDown this week. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not sure. Unless I just read it incorrectly that the N- that the NXT is going with them. At, at this point, but at this point, why not just put the screen? I don't understand. I, I have a theory and what my belief is that Vince is going, Vince, even if it kills somebody. Mm-hmm. We all know he has no shame. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, I really think he's going to drive to get the first arena show going. Oh, yeah. He wants to do it before – and if he can do it before the summer's out, yeah. Because SummerSlam's already lost, and yeah. I assume they needed to move it for SummerSlam, mm-hmm. whatever they're doing there. But I, he is – I guarantee he's determined to get a show with crowd in it more than AEW because AEW had people there this week. They did. Or last week. I assume they have mm-hmm. them there now. I think that uh, the NBA is doing it best. I think if the WWE is going to copy anyone, uh, copy the NBA, NBA, I hope that the Thunderdome is just what it is in name only and not an actual structure of any kind. Anytime there's ever been a Thunderdome in any professional wrestling iteration, be it in world-class or in Florida, it's been an unmitigated failure. I (laughs) I hate the name Thunderdome. And even though I love the Mad Max version of it i just think that i just think you could have come up with so many other better names 
then. This is like under the Great Balls of Fire uh, pay-per-view type name. Really, you can <laughs> Yeah. But I, I think the person who comes up with the names has got to be the same person that comes up with the names of the wrestlers on NXT. Absolutely no creativity at all. Just really stupid names um, they've come up with. And uh, Thunderdome, chief among them. Again, anything else? You, there wasn't any other... Uh, so I think it's just of what you're trying to do. I the only time I think Thunderdome has worked in sports is when the Tampa Bay Lightning first started. They didn't play in an arena. Yeah, they played at the baseball stadium, Tropicana Field, and they called it the Thunderdome. <laughs> Makes sense. That is the only time that's ever worked, and because of that, I believe the NHL does have um, the NHL. I believe the Lightning has the NHL playoff attendance record. Yeah. Because of because of how many more people they're able to put in there, mm-hmm. and contrary to popular belief, even though I make fun of them, because as soon as they're down one in the playoff series, the crowd leaves. They actually have a rabid fan base. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's another podcast for another, another time. time. Chuckle, chuckle, darn it. HMP, whole another podcast. Oh, another podcast. Uh, I think this version of the show is going to be quick because I got nothing else for uh, modern wrestling. Uh, SummerSlams this weekend. Uh, I will probably watch SmackDown and make my decision on watching SummerSlam based on how SmackDown goes because I have not watched any wrestling and it's been three weeks now. Well, I'm not I, proud of that. I'm not saying like, yeah, it's awesome. I haven't watched it in three weeks. I'm just saying. Well, I wish I could tell you you were missing something, Dan, but. <laughs> I know I'm not. I, watched, I, I, I check YouTube to see anything. And the only thing, you know, the uh, the biggest news that came out of modern wrestling this week was uh, the last episode of AEW, which aired a week ago today. Uh, the tag team appreciation uh, show, uh, and when they had uh, Ar- Arn Natalia already in AEW, but they brought in the Rock and Roll Express, um, who I believe are still That's the right. current reigning NWA tag team champions. No, I think they lost. I'll check that. Okay. Finish your story. But they're still active. Yeah, the the point. And um, so the at forty, you had Tully and Arn and the Rock and Roll Express, along with FTR and the uh, the Young Bucks. So like Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the others. So uh, out of all the tag teams that are in there, you know, the Young Bucks were uh, there, and I uh, said that the Rock and Roll Express uh, created the uh, type of uh, the, the style that they use now currently. And I guess uh, Ricky Morton uh, still waiting to get paid from AEW, put over the Young Bucks as being the next generation of great tag teams, you know, hold for laughter. Then uh, the the, uh, the revival at FTR uh, obviously put over Arn and Tully, the most, uh, the most similar tag team that there's ever been to Arn and Tully is obviously them. Uh, and Arn put them over. Tully was Tully. He was the only one that was uh, he was he was himself. He was just as mean and ornery as he, you know. He was he was always a grump anyway. But he says, "You guys make me sick. You guys are talking about the best tag team, best tag team. I don't see any belts on either one of you. So as far as I'm concerned, neither one of you are the best tag team. Okay. And uh, he goes to Arn. Point. Yeah." And he goes to R and he goes, I got a beat to pick with, I got a bone to pick with you because when my guy, and I think he forgot Sean Spears' name, uh, was in the ring with Cody. <laughs> One would. Yeah. And then Sean Spears comes out and Arn says, well, I see where this is going. And he leaves. And then for no reason, Dan, absolutely none. It was never explained. Ricky Morton just, just punches Kelly Blanchard in the face. And they go at it, and they're the young bucks are trying to separate um, Rock and Roll Express from uh, from Tully Blanchard and Sean Spears. And in the melee, uh, Dax, I think he had to, he had to hurt his he hurt his knee the previous week, and he's fiddling with his knee brace, and he goes down. But what he's doing, he's taking the knee brace off, and while he does that, he knocks Robert Gibson out with the knee brace, knocks him over the ropes, and they hold Ricky Morton up for a spike pile driver that Ricky Morton sells like it's 1986. Just perfect bump from a, from a spike pile driver. Very that good. was the best segment out of 
any of the two shows. Jesus. But I still have no idea what the hell it meant. Who were the heels in that? Who are you trying to get over? The only thing that came out of that is they trying to, to promote a match between Tully and Arn, which isn't going to happen. Are they doing uh, with uh, FTR and, and the Rock and Roll Express, which isn't going to happen. Uh, they didn't do anything with FTR and the Young Bucks. So I, that was the best thing that happened. Also, Orange Cassidy uh, pinned Chris Jericho. Good. Um, oh God, now that I said uh, I have to bring this up and I shouldn't have because is Chris Jericho looking sloppier these days? Is it just me? Well, he, he, uh, he gave up a long time ago. It's not um, just me. I, no, no. I, I recognize Chris Jericho as one of the best that's ever been in the ring. Yes. Obviously a physical specimen when compared to me. But I I saw the clip of that match and I was like, did what? Is it just because was that just the quiet part in the match? Because I only saw like the YouTube clip. What the did he stop? Did he give up? What's going on? Oh, he gave up a long time ago. He's incredibly out of shape. He only he doesn't care about being a heel anymore, just being an entertainer. That's okay. I I, and, I understand where you're coming from, but, but that's he, all if, right to me. But and my my but my problem with Chris Jericho is because he is an international star and because he is the most mainstream viable wrestler you have there. And I'm if Chris Jericho wants to take a billionaire's money to do whatever, I'm I'm cool with that. Sure, like, at this stage yeah. in his career, he's earned it. But my, yeah. my only problem is if you're going to put someone over, if you're going to work that hard, put someone over, why not someone who can actually help the company in the long run? Why not an, uh, an Adam Page or a Jungle Boy? Someone that is your future of your company. I don't give a crap about Orange Cassidy. Nothing wrong with the guy. He, I, I met him the one show that we did uh, in, um, in Philly, uh, the Super Crazy Show. Um, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, and I'm glad he's getting this shot on national TV because I never thought he would. Uh, but I, that's my only uh, gripe with Chris Jericho. With how you we think a lot with. of the booking decisions because it's COVID and nobody really cares, even the people running the show? No, well, I, I, I just know just from the interviews and from what I've heard, there is no – one of the things that's lacking with AEW is that there's no one in charge. Chris Jericho has a say. Cody has a say. The Young Bucks have a say. Have a say. Kenny Omega has a say. There's no w- Booker in charge. There's no, you know, there's no Ernie Ladd. There's no Bill Watts. There's no, you know, there doesn't have to be a Mr. McMahon where everyone will go through him. But there's got to be a Booker. Like who, who do I run the storyline over? Who do this, who this angle goes through? But you got all these different people. I mean, Kenny Omega is booking the whole women's division. But everyone else has say in how how the rest of the show goes or the matches. There's no Booker. That's what's wrong with AEW, and that's why a couple of people turned down the job. Chief among them was uh, with Jim Cornette because when he found out there was no one in charge, he said, "Forget it. You know, I can give you ideas, but unless you have one person that you run everything by, it's not going to work." And it's going to look like a hodgepodge of, you know, of crap. And here we are. Just, I'm enjoying Danny uh, give Harry crap in the chat. It's very amusing to me. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't spend five days a week on the internet. He doesn't spend five days a week on social media, but, you know. Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> this tweet just came up very timely. My sources are reporting this is fake. Uh, it's just a joke. My sources are reporting that WWE have called their new interactive setup the Thunderdorm in an attempt to confuse Dave Meltzer. They're open. He'll think SummerSlam is at the Tokyo Dome in Japan, and as a result, give every match five stars. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from wrestling. Getting, Go ahead. What? Yeah, Meltzer's getting raked like over the coals like on a weekly basis now. Because he's yep. an idiot. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He's being an idiot. Let me rephrase that. Yes. He's being an idiot. Yes. He didn't get to where he was by being an idiot. He isn't an no. idiot. But he's acting like an asshole. Yeah. And I don't understand why. I don't either. You're, you're, you work for the business. You're not the business, David. Um, 
that's from that tweet was from Wrestling Days D A Z E okay. Twitter. I don't know the uh, accounts, so I cannot vouch for them. But I thought that was funny. Well, Dan, as much as we poo-poo the current state of professional wrestling or what passes for professional wrestling, I think what's best is that we go back to when there actually was professional wrestling, back when it did matter, back when fans packed the uh, stadiums and arenas and coliseums across this great country, when there actually were fans and that called the universe, back when territories actually mattered, where you could go from Memphis to Miami to Canada to uh, all points in between and get the best of professional wrestling. It's August, it's hot, and uh, just like our birthday- It's hot in here, it's just me. It seldom, you know, goes by the wayside. So this is the wrestling historian. Uh, I just got to touch on a few dates here because they were special to me. Uh, August 13th, 1979, right here. Beautiful air-conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum. <laughs> I got Some of those words don't belong together. Air-conditioned, I'll give you. Beautiful. Do you understand? Spectrum... Uh, unlike some of the other arenas that that had wrestling, yeah, I know, i.e., Philadelphia Arena, uh, <laughs> did not have. So to get people in the building, question, uh, and sure. I don't mean this as an insulting way. Were you of eight? Was Philadelphia Arena still operating when you were a kid? Yeah, that's where I saw my not the Civic run. Center, the no, actual, no, no. the one no, on Market Street. Yes, the oh, 45th wow. Market. Yes, that's where wow. I saw my second professional wrestling match of all time. That's the first time I ever saw Ernie Ladd. In wow, person. at the Philadelphia fucking at arena? At the oh. Philadelphia arena. The main event was Ivan Putski versus Blackjack Mulligan. But Ernie Ladd was facing the Mexican heavyweight champion Francisco Flores. And Ernie Ladd, when he was doing uh, commentary on uh, Vince McMahon with Vince to promote his uh, bout in, at the Philadelphia arena against Francisco Flores, he said, I want to come to Philadelphia. All I want is fans from the, to have complete silence when I walk in the ring. I am the king of professional wrestling. And I deserve complete silence when I walk in the ring. So, of course, that was my cue to... And uh, I was... Ernie Ladd was my first heel that I saw in person. And I was not a Francisco Flores fan. I just hated Ernie Ladd so much because I knew about his thumb that was taped up that was due to a prior football injury. So in order to help out Francisco Flores, not because I liked him, but because I hated Ernie Ladd, I was trying to figure out how to tell Francisco Flores in Spanish to watch out for his thumb. And because oh. there was no internet, no computers or anything like that, the only thing I, I had to help me was my cat in the hat dictionary in Spanish. <laughs> So I was trying to tell him to watch out for his thumb in Spanish. And uh, so when Ernie Ladd walks in the ring, big six foot nine, I'm on the floor. And he just like towers over me. And he just walks in, just going to everyone, just keep it down, keep it down. And uh, he pins Francisco Flores with his thumb and pins it with both feet on the hanging on the top rope. Referee didn't see it, and of course, the whole place, including me, goes crazy. How do you not see this big six foot nine guy pin someone with both his feet on the ropes? Now, keep in mind, he was in the center, he was pinning him in the center of the ring, but Ernie was so big, his legs were draped over the top rope, and that's how he won. But yes, I was in the Philadelphia Arena at 46th and Market. It was still uh, there, and they still taped um, a lot of the matches there when I first started becoming a professional wrestling fan. Sorry, good. Hey, Cal. Um, but back to the beautiful air-conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum, August 13th, 1979. While I, that was, in 1975 was the first time I saw Ernie Ladd. August 13th, 1979 was the first man, time I saw someone who would be intricate in Ernie Ladd's uh, career. I was the first time I saw Ted DiBiase. Ah. Person. He was the... WWF North American heavyweight champion at the time before he would lose that belt to Pat Patterson and have that belt renamed the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Ted DiBiase defeated Moose Monroe. And the main event was Bob Backlund 
uh, going up against Johnny Valiant. Now, the month before, uh, there was a six-man between Jimmy, Johnny, and Jerry Valiant against uh, Bob Acklin, Ivan Putski, and I believe Steve Travis. And Johnny Valiant had sneak attacked Bob Acklin. And Bob Acklin gave this passionate interview about what he was going to do to Johnny Valiant. And I thought it was weird because Bob Backlund had several big challengers ahead of him, like Ivan Koloff, like Ernie Ladd, uh, like the returning uh, Stan Hansen, Crusher Blackwell. So I don't know why he was giving so much vitriol to Johnny Valiant. So Johnny Valiant is one half of the Valiant brothers, and just like all one half of tag teams back then, not a not you know a big deal. You know, Backlund could take this guy. He's in the ring, strutting to the crowd. And Bob Backlund, keep in mind, there was no music back then. We only saw the, him coming when you would peer down the, the long hallway at the Spectrum, and you saw him coming, and then the crowd would start clapping because they got to see the champion. He would walk or, you know, with his hand up in the air, and, oh, here's Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund, on a dead run, ran into the ring before anyone knew he was coming out, <laughs> ripped off the title belt, and just started beating the living piss out of Johnny Valiant. And just went on for the match was 15 minutes, and Johnny Valiant never got off his ring jacket. It was a 15-minute squash with Johnny Valiant selling like he was 1986 Ricky Morton all around the ring, taking these unbelievable bumps. And Bob Backlund won with his patented uh, atomic um, knee drop. And at the end of the bout, they had a big graphic on the Spectrum Titantron. Happy birthday, Bob Backlund. Uh, that was his uh, he his his actual birthday was August 14th, but it was August 13th Good that day. the match took place. And yeah, he he was uh, he turned 30. Um, the day he was 29 when that match took place. But uh, yeah, so I got to see a 15 minute squash uh, with uh, Bob Backlund defeating uh, Johnny Valiant at the beautiful air conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum. August 13th, 1993, another big date uh, where I remember where I was August 13th because I was right here in Philly at the Spectrum. August 13th, 1993, a lot of people knew where they were when the Clash of Champions took place at Daytona Beach. Um, some big matches. Arn Anderson and Paul Roma, the newest horseman, oh, God. defeated the team of Steve Austin and Steven Regal because Brian Pillman had uh, busted his, his ankle, couldn't defend the WCW Tag Team titles, so Steve Regal was his replacement, and the two Steves lost to Arn Anderson and Paul Roma and uh, lost the WCW Tag Team Championship. Uh, the NWA champion Ric Flair teamed up with Sting to go up against the Colossal Kongs, Awesome and King, managed by Harley Race. Uh, the returning Road Warriors, Dustin Rhodes turned up with Road Warrior Animal, and Hawk returned, and they defeated the team of the Equalizer and Rick Rude. This is back when the Equalizer was still treated as somewhat of a of a heel instead of a comedy figure he would later be. And the main event was uh, Big Van Vader pinning Davy Boy Smith. It was interesting because Davy Boy Smith had Vader up in a suplex, the patented Davy Boy Smith suplex, and Vader was about 400 pounds. But when, when Invader's manager, Harley Race, hit that leg, Vader fell on top of him. But I was afraid that the way that Davey Boy was holding him, that Vader would come right down on his head. Thankfully, he didn't. Vader landed on Davey Boy's chest, pinned him one, two, three. And that was the, uh, the end of the bout. But the most memorable thing about that particular Clash of Champions on August 13, 1993, was the debut of, say it with me, the Shockmaster. Oh, God. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Uh, we don't have to go over the particulars of that auspicious debut, but that uh, live Clash of Champions uh, did a 3.8. I think that was Uncle Fred. <laughs> <laughs> the other favorite part is him just getting back to the table where Dusty can't stop laughing and he can't breathe. <laughs> he just slams the helmet, on, and he and Dusty said he just slammed the helmet on the table. And said I effed that up, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. 
I blame the I blame the construction crew that put that big two by four right in front of the entrance. <laughs> that he could, yeah. Goddamn construction crew. Uh, but I also blame the uh, the costume mistress because why wasn't that helmet fastened with a? He ever heard of a chin strap? Anyone? Just, uh, just everything. Like why? Why would you? Um, just after Black Scorpion and all that other crap with the voice, it's everything about it was a bad idea. I don't understand how they thought that was going to go. I don't either, but August 13th, 1993, a fallout which will live in infamy. And also infamous, uh, August 13th, 1996, three years later in Cleveland, SummerSlam 96, and the big Van Vader versus Shawn Michaels uh, for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. Uh, this was the bout where um, Shawn was about to, well, Shawn did come off the top rope and Vader was supposed to move. He didn't. So Shawn jumped right off and kicked Vader twice in the head and yelled, move, move. And uh, He's so lucky somebody didn't kill, kill him. Well, you know, and that goes on Leon White, the late great Van Vader, who wanted to go along, who um, it's their fault. I hate saying there's blame on both sides, but Vince obviously didn't know what to do with him. No. And Vader was too nice for his own good, who wanted to just go along and not cause any trouble. So when he was berated by a pip squeak like Shawn Michaels, he took it and didn't do anything. Shawn liked working with big guys namely Sid, Diesel, Undertaker, because they wouldn't hurt him. They, he would sell for them gladly. They could toss him around the ring, and they, you know, they could be gentle. Sid could be – it's known to be careless, but he was never careless with Sean. Bader, reputation preceded him of how stiff he was. Ask Hulk Hogan. Hogan hit Bader with steel chairs. Bader could only hit Hogan with wooden chairs, wooden balsa wood chairs. And Hogan had gone on record on the Howard Stern show and say he was afraid of him. That um, doesn't seem safer. No. <laughs> to me. The, the lighter chairs were what um, Hogan took from Vader. And, but meanwhile, Hogan lambasted Vader with steel chairs left and right. Sean uh, didn't want to get hurt from Vader. And if you see the match, the SummerSlam uh, match from Cleveland, you saw how light that Vader was working, Sean. Jim Cornette was Vader's uh, manager at the time and um, talked about this match and how it went through and how it was supposed to go and uh, stuff that was, spots that were missed, not just that one, because uh, John and, because Vader was going to kick out anyway, so Sean could have just as easily landed that elbow, even if Vader hadn't moved. So, I didn't know what the consternation was, but uh, Vader took it in stride. Now, um, I don't. What I don't understand, Dan, is when Vader's last days were uh, uh, looming, why he didn't go to the locker room and beat the piss out of Sean then, since that was going to be his uh, his last time there. But yeah, um, yeah, insufferable. But the August thirteenth, nineteen ninety six, uh, SummerSlam in Cleveland, uh, Michaels versus Vader. Uh, on last week's Wrestling Historian, Dan, <laughs> I mentioned that in uh, August 8th was a big day in Vern Gagne's career because on August 8th, 1961, he won his second AWA title. And on that same date, August 8th, 1963, he won his fifth AWA title. But August 16th, 1960, Dan, was when Vern Gagne became AWA champion for the first time. Ah. Ah, the first of ten times that Vern Gagne would be the AWA Heavyweight Champion. The Pat O'Connor was the defending NWA Champion and had been recognized as the very first AWA Heavyweight Champion in May of 1960. But he was given 90 days to defend the AWA belt against the number one contender, Vern Gagne, or be stripped. The match never happened. And Vern Gagne was awarded the AWA title. And of those 10 reigns, Dan, 
Vern Gagne was given the AWA title on three of them. <laughs> Just hand it over. So Here you go. It, this is you. Yeah, it pays to be the boss, especially if you're if you're Vern Gagne. Uh, August seventeenth, uh, Nikita Koloff Day, because uh, August seventeenth, nineteen eighty six. Nikita Koloff defeated Magnum TA in the finals of the best of seven matches for the United States Heavyweight Championship. August 17th, 1986, Nikita won uh, game seven and won the United States title from Magnum and Charlotte. The very next year, August 17th, 1987, Nikita Koloff defeated Tully Blanchard for the NWA TV Championship in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So August 17th is a special day life for Nikita Koloff. Uh, also, August 17th, 1998, another date that will live in infamy. Uh, the height of the Monday Night Wars uh, and in WCW's uh, an another attempt to regain uh, the glory years from another company. August 17th, 1998 was the WCW debut of the warrior. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> One of the worst debuts ever. Um, well, great for the fans uh, there, but obviously uh, short-lived, just like Warriors runs at any other company after that or before that. But um, that was the debut of uh, the warrior, August 17th, 1998. Really was like one of the worst things that they ever did. Yeah. It, it, it just, I, I don't know why they brought it back. I know warrior is a garbage person and all that other stuff that came out later, but they brought him up just to, just to make Hogan look good. Yeah. And, and uh, it was Hogan's idea. It's all you stupid. Know. Yeah, I agree. Because you're asking WCW fans to uh, relive a time that happened in the WWE um, 11 years earlier or nine years earlier. I just uh, that match at Halloween Havoc. It, it was just the it was a long it was in the middle of the long downfall of that company. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a couple other you know that was a horrible debut, but a couple other debuts happened. Uh, this month in pro wrestling history. Uh, uh, my apologies for backtracking because some dates, some dates happened uh, earlier this month that uh, went by and I completely missed them. So I just like to thank several websites for bringing it to my attention and uh, they will get their just due right now. Uh, August 4th, uh, 1984, I remember watching on the NWA Worldwide Wrestling uh, Jim Crockett, the head of uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, signed Barry Windham to a, at the time, was supposed to be the largest contract in the history of professional wrestling. And they had it at the beginning of the, or in the middle of the show, uh, Jim Crockett signing Barry Windham to a big contract. He was awarded a new car. And I was, I'd always been a Barry Windham fan, and he and Mike Rotunda had just uh, debuted on the end, in the NWA, so I was looking forward to them at some point being the NWA Tag Team Champions or Barry Windham uh, being United States Champion or getting the big push. Two months later, Barry Windham would be in the WWF. So that contract signing just seemed kind of um, unnecessary at the time. Uh, what it did do, Dan, was because when Barry Windham left, that opened the door for young Terry Allen to get the push that probably Wyndham was going to get. And obviously uh, Magnum TA was red hot, white hot. Um, I still believe would have been the NWA champion instead of a Ronnie Garvin. Um, and it well, obviously was in his future, uh, if not for the tragic car accident. But uh, but Barry Wyndham signing that contract was, uh, I remember uh, being excited about that and then looking up and seeing Barry Wyndham in the WWF. But on that same day, speaking of the WWF, August 4th, 1984, right here in Philadelphia at the beautiful air-conditioned Spectrum, uh, we're in the throw this summer of Hulkamania. Uh, 
Hogan. I watched Hogan uh, defeat Greg Valentine at the Spectrum. But I was there to see. This was my last wrestling match before I went to college, Dan. <laughs> and right. so I was, so this is my last hurrah. This is my last month of being in Philly. I went to college in Florida. But I, I was there because there was a tag team that was making their Spectrum debut. I'd only read about this tag team in After Magazines, and I've been following them for five years. But making their WWF debut, their Spectrum debut, their Philadelphia debut, and I watched if you had, if I had Prism, if I had been watching it on TV. Now Prism was a local cable cable here in Philly. You can watch Spectrum Wrestling live. I didn't have that, so I had to go down and see it myself. But on the Prism uh, telecast from Spectrum, a limousine pulled up in the back of the Spectrum, and out came Dave Wolf and Cindy Lauper, and they opened the door for Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts. The fabulous Freebirds made their first, last, and only appearance in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. August 4th, 1984. They started the Freebird music while their opponents were in the ring. And from the time the limousine pulled up, the, the music started. So, and they, the camera followed them from the limousine in the parking lot into the spectrum, down the winding hallway, straight to the ring. And then while the music was going, and I was standing, cheering, and these were, they were in Philly, so there were a lot of smart fans there. They knew who the Freebirds were. So they got a huge hand, and they came out with Dave Wolf. He was introduced first, and after they won, out comes Cindy Lauper running to the ring, and gave each of them a hug, and the place went nuts. And we thought, oh, that was a Cindy Lauper look like because we never saw her, but it turns out that was her. Cindy Lauper was there, in the ring with the Freebirds, August fourteenth, nineteen eighty four. The first, last, and only time they were in the spectrum, and I got to see the Freebirds debut, and I was very humble wow. and very, very happy. Speaking of debuts, Daniel, the single greatest debut in wrestling occurred this month, and I missed it. So I have to apologize to our fans of HIAC Talk Radio, everyone listening or watching on Twitch. I messed up. And I shouldn't because when I research for the wrestling story and what I do for you, the fans, mostly it's just big cards or title changes or stuff that happens in wrestling history that I want to call to your attention. But this is something personal to me that it's always been a big deal. And it went right by. And for that, I apologize. But I'll rectify it right now. How dare you? August 9th, 1999. Monday Night Raw in Chicago, the single greatest debut of any professional wrestler in history, counted down with The Rock in the ring, the Millennium Man, the debut of Raw is Jericho. That's true, yeah. <laughs> August 9th, 1999. The day I knew that, well, even if all the stuff backstage I wasn't aware of, the day I knew that WCW was in trouble. Yeah. That was it, man. That... Well, that... Yeah. And, and that's the day I knew that the internet was alive and well because um, the WCW, what passes for their website, had already talked about Jericho leaving. And the signs that were visible in Chicago that night of fans holding up Jericho signs and Raw is Jericho that knew he was going to be there. That's when I knew, wow, this internet is really something. <laughs> this thing works. And even Chris Jericho said, I had no idea so many people knew I was already going to be there. Uh, but yeah, that's still the single greatest debut uh, of anyone. Gives me goosebumps. I watch it. I watch it twice today. I have it on my in my YouTube in my favorites. Um, yeah. Absolutely uh, incredible. That's how Jericho began the, his uh, second book uh, after my life in spandex was his uh, talking about 
his debut in the WWF, lifelong dream achieved, and um, he, he took the ball and ran. Had a little stunt, had a little, little speed bump um, a couple months after he debuted, but he righted the ship. And I was telling everyone who would listen, this guy's going to be the next Shawn Michaels. And I, I believe he did better than Shawn Michaels. And he was uh, proving himself to be one of the uh, – he's in my top ten uh, WWE, if you want to call him WWE superstars of all time. I, I pay good money to watch his match, to even just listen to him on the mic. His entrance is better than anyone else's. If you got to see it live, you were seeing something spectacular, even if it was the explosion, if it was the light bright jacket, just that Christ-like pose at the beginning and the entrance when the, when the lights come up, absolutely awesome. I would put that pop against any pop from the 60s on up, especially to now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, and it'll rival uh, a lot of them. Most definitely. And, you know, Dan, we talk about this on this podcast so many times when I mention old matches or old matches from the NWA. Or even if I mention uh, old matches from the uh, uh, the Madison Square Garden matches that we uh, that we watched as, as homework. Uh, look at the crowd. Uh, standing. Jumping up and down. Last week, uh, we talked about the kid who ran all the way from the back of the arena to the front row just to see Ron Simmons win the uh, WCW Heavyweight Championship. And when he saw it, he could not stop jumping up and down. Nope. He almost yep. he almost did a flip over the railing yes. by mistake. <laughs> uh, and that's gone. Um, yeah. uh, I would love to see that again, but I don't know what product or what wrestler or what angle can get anyone to feel anything like that. Uh, ever again, and that's the one thing I miss. I, I miss the fans. I miss the uh, the interaction. Uh, I you know when they uh, when they had uh, Ricky and Robert and uh, Arn and Tully on last week's AEW, I just went back, Dan, and I just watched the Rock and Roll Express entrances against Ole and Arn or against the Midnight Express. You said you had the heels in the ring just walking around and then the music hits and I, I just I just watched the entrance. I didn't even watch the match. I knew how good the match was going to be and these are matches I didn't even I hadn't seen. There was one uh, with Ole and Arn against Ricky and Robert in Kansas City. But I just well, but just to hear the crowd going nuts. And even to hear someone like Jim Cornette that I had listened to that shit every day for like 28 days in a row everywhere we went. <laughs> It was crazy. And to see Ricky and Robert, you know, they got later on their way to the ring, you know. But <laughs> by the time they got there, you know, they didn't even have to go out that night. <laughs> oh, I'm tired. Oh, man, I need a cigarette. Oh, we got to start a match? Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's what I miss. That's what I love most about uh, the wrestling historian. I can um, relive some great, times in professional wrestling back when it was a sport that we both enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed and hopefully taking you back to where you know it was packed to where you where you could see a team that you've read about and you've heard about and here they were in your backyard finally in your town uh and you get to see them live the freebirds were just uh pictures from an after magazine and when he didn't have cable and all he had was the, the magazine, there was no internet, there was no newsletters, there was no gossip, there was no websites, there was no hotlines. Uh, you heard the free birds were coming, got to go, got to go. And thank God I did because, again, that's the first, last, and only time they ever wrestled in, at the Spectrum. And their time in the WWF was extremely short. If you listen to Michael Hayes, depending on who you talk to, who fired him, I heard it was Andre, I heard it was Vince. But um, they wore out their welcome very quickly in the WWF. Um, but so, again, thank God I was there. And uh, thank God I can share these moments with you, the fans of HIAC Talk Radio. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. Two really quick ones this week. And, I, um, and I'm a, you're an honorary free bird, Danny? I'm going to need that in writing. 
I'm going to need that writing. Uh, two really quick episodes this week, and I'm very happy for it because I'm going to go watch the Flyers and bash my head into the wall now. Uh, thank God they called that one back because, well, that's another podcast for another time. For another said. time. Yes, uh, but uh, I'm glad uh, that you were able. I actually saw pictures of the Philadelphia Arena uh, for the first time in my life two days ago. Oh, really? Okay. I'd never seen it before. I had no idea. I knew it existed because that's where the Quakers played. They, there was a – Yeah. That's not how you're an honorary freebird. I share a birthday with Elvis's death. I'm not dead. Okay. Do you like that joke? I did that yeah. one myself. Um, good. Get yeah, it, and Danny. that's also where they had the, uh, the roller derby. Yeah, roller derby was there, uh, but um, I, I looked up pictures. I'll send you the link to the pictures the guy has uh pictures of it he's been everywhere this guy okay. every arena or stadium he's got civic center pictures jfk stadium um but uh yeah it, it just occurred to me when we were starting the segment i was like gee i wonder if you've been there i know you're old <laughs> yeah, you're old you had to know you you were in the you were in the first world war weren't you <laughs> craig we will follow you Oh, they can follow me at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Craig Lagon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DanLaw83. VOC Nation rate. I did it twice. Same. I did it twice. The wrong way. Did it both times wrong. VOCNation.com. On your smartphone, Android or Apple, go to your podcast app. Type in VOC Nation Radio Network to follow all of our podcasts. You can watch it live on twitch.tv slash Daniel83. You can watch it afterwards, edited around at youtube.com slash Daniel83. Just look up Daniel83. It's me. For Greg Lagans, the Babbage Community Dan Calchico. We'll see you next week for Nerd Herders. Have This is a sister, the Doctor of Style, and you're listening to VOC Nation. Check out In the Room. Every Tuesday night at 9, listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kazzy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resume. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. On Wrestling With Problems, we deal with two things, wrestling and problems. On the wrestling side, we cover the major feds as well as the indies. As far as problems go, we cover our problems, American problems, and world problems. Sometimes the problems are even related to wrestling. Every week, comedian King David Lane and wrestler, promoter, Chris Best discuss the best and especially the worst in the world of wrestling with a heaping dose of comedy. Check us out live on VLCNation.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
each and every Thursday night. Check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.